Thank you for the great work in Christ that we have just been reflecting upon. Thank you for the newness of life in Christ that uh, if any man or woman or boy or girl be in Christ, is a new creation. And Father, we continue to marvel at your plan of salvation. We continue to grasp at a deeper understanding of what it means uh, to be forgiven and to be positioned in Christ in the heavenlies. And thank you, Lord, that we're part of your church now. And we are your body here on earth. Thank you for your presence with us today, the promises of your word, and uh, the reality that where your people gather, you are there in their midst. Thank you for the ongoing work of your Holy Spirit in us. Thank you for the cleansing power of your word. And, and thank you, Lord, that as we open our Bibles today, uh, we can learn from the testimonies of those who have lived in times past. And Father, there are life applications that are important for us to glean. Lord, we gather in humility today. We recognize that it is only by your grace that we're here. Thank you for your grace that sustains us. Thank you for your grace that has saved us. Thank you for your grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to walk in holiness. Father, may we have ears to hear now and sensitive hearts towards your word. Accomplish your purposes in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we gathered, as we do monthly, for our 55 Alive group. Do you know that we have a 55 Alive ministry? Um, that's better than a 55 Not Alive ministry, I guess, but 55 Alive is just the name that we've coined for a gathering of our, you might say, senior saints. And we meet monthly, and uh, we have great times together. Sometimes we take trips, and almost always it involves good food and uh, great fellowship, and uh, for many, many years we've done this, and I always make it a priority for me and my family to join that group, and uh, just to be together. And in fact, if you're in that age demographic, and you haven't made a practice of attending, and you can, um, watch for those announcements, and sign up and come. We really have great times. Well, we met just a couple weeks ago with um, our guest speaker, Gary Byers, who will be here to fill the pulpit in my absence when I'm on vacation, June 13th. Uh, Gary Byers is um, Pearl Cavender's uh, former pastor and Wayne McKenzie's former pastor. He's now into biblical archaeology. He's an interesting fellow, and we had a great time together. And Rob and Sheila Runyon administrate our 55 Alive ministry right now. And at that gathering a couple weeks ago, Rob told a funny story. And it's without his permission that I'm going to use that story this morning. All right? And it goes something like this. There was a, an older couple, a man and a wife, who uh, began to notice that they were failing with years. And one of the things that was failing was their memories. And so they went to the doctor to get it checked out to see if there was anything that they could do to make improvement. And the doctor suggested that they were probably okay and that they were just on the normal uh, course of downgrade with aging. There's nothing we can do about it. He said, to help yourselves out, why don't you just start writing down notes so that you don't forget things? Because this forgetfulness was becoming an irritant between them. And so one evening, they were watching television together. I assume they were watching Wheel of Fortune, of course. And uh, they were watching the wheel go around. And the husband looked over at the wife and he said, uh, Honey, I think I'm going to go get a bowl of ice cream. Would you like a bowl of ice cream? 
And she said, yes. She said, I would like vanilla with chocolate topping with a little cherry on top. He said, good, I'll get it for you. She said, honey, you better write it down. He said, no, no. He said, I can remember this. And so he gets up, he goes to the kitchen, and he's gone for a long time. And the pots and pans are banging around and stuff, and she's watching wheel. And finally he comes, and he has a platter, and he has, he has breakfast. He went in and made bacon and eggs and toast. And his wife looks at him when he gives it to her, and, and she says to him, Honey, I told you you should have written it down. I wanted my eggs sunny side up, not scrambled. <laughs> and we laugh, don't we? But whether we like it or not, we're all on a trajectory of aging, aren't we? And things change as we get older. You know, as I invite you and as we turn together to Genesis chapter 27 again this morning... I want to do, in just the few minutes that we have remaining, I want us to learn a few practical lessons before we leave this passage. This is not an exegetical pass, uh, work this morning. This is, this is more of a, a step back from the passage and, and just take some application from the example of Isaac and Rebekah that in this passage I consider to be a negative model. I am, I am amazed at what went on in Genesis chapter 27. If you were here last week, you recall, don't you? It begins, notice that Isaac was old, Genesis 27.1. His eyes had dimmed. He could, could barely, if at all, see he was evidently bedfast a good portion of the time. We, we have implied in the passage that he did not get up from his bed very much or with ease. His sons, when they approached him, perhaps even helped him sit up. He couldn't see well enough to know the difference between Jacob with long-haired goat skins on his arms and his neck. He couldn't tell. He had to tell by touch. Um, he couldn't see well enough. I take it that though his ears um, picked up that the voice was not quite Esau, remember that part of the story? These twin boys, Esau and Jacob, are the main characters. You remember in previous chapters that when they were born, before they were born, God had clearly revealed to Rebekah, their mother, that the younger, Jacob, would be the child of promise. It would be through him that the world would be blessed. And through him that God would um, make Abraham a na into a nation greater than the stars of the sky. And that Esau the older would end up serving Jacob the younger. You recall the story where he came in, Esau did from hunting, sold his birthright for a bowl of soup not caring at all about the blessing of God on his life. And then in chapter 27, last week, we broke it down and understood what was happening there. And we had uh, just an incredible interaction, almost, really beyond almost, we had really a dysfunctional family at play. We had a, a father who was going to knowingly, evidently, give the blessing to his oldest son, which was not God's will. We had the mother interjecting herself in inappropriate manners, uh, with deceit, with manipulation, with uh, uh, misdirection. 
We have Jacob, the younger son, coming in to receive the blessing by lying repeatedly and creating a scenario that is just mind-boggling and with behavior and speech that was totally inappropriate and unbecoming of God's people. As I studied this passage and as we went through it last week, I, I kept thinking, how did this happen? Now God did in His sovereign control work all things together there and His plan came together and even the ineffectiveness and the inefficiencies of how things were done could not foil God's plan and Jacob does end up with the blessing. I just really feel like Rebecca was out of order. I feel like Isaac was not in control spiritually of his home. And it occurred to me in my preparation last week that what we have in Genesis chapter 27 is a marriage that's on the downgrade. We have a marriage that has grown stale, and I want to propose this morning that if Isaac and Rebecca had maintained a loving marriage relationship, that it would have dramatically altered the way the events unfolded in Genesis chapter 27. So I recognize that I am somewhat speculative in my application of the scriptures this morning. But I feel strongly that, there, that these are legitimate surmisings of a pastor. And so will you indulge me as we take a look at a marriage grown stale, at a marriage on the downgrade, will you, along with me, make application to your own lives because I want to suggest that as we age, there will be things that will happen to us that if we are not careful, can amount to spiritual failure in our old age. How sad to be what God wants us to be for many years, and then in our failing years, in our waning years, to fail in our marriage and to fail with a testimony of dysfunction at the end of our lives. And so we're going to assume that you know the story here and we're going to be drawing some principles. You're going to need to listen rapidly. I'll be, uh, as last week, putting some points up on the screen so that you can track along visually and see our points. I want to begin by suggesting that we can see in our example today of an aging couple with this marriage that seems to be in decline, I want to suggest that we can see in this story, in Genesis chapter 27, that there are some, some dynamics that take place in our aging that really we can all expect to happen at some level. I've called this the expected entropy of an aging marriage. The expected entropy of an aging marriage. Do you remember what entropy is from your science classes? Let me explain it briefly. It's simple. Well, sort of. It's physics. I certainly don't want to act like I know much about physics. But it's something like this. Entropy comes from what I understand to be the second law of thermodynamics, and it is this. Uh, guys like Dave and Jeff here, you can catch them afterwards and they'll correct me and straighten you out. But it's something like this. 
It is basically a law of the universe that all matter left to itself, or energy and matter left to itself, will go into the downgrade. Everything is in a state of decay. Leave this room alone, and without pumping heat in here, this room will just gradually cool off. If you take your car and you park it out behind Grandpa's barn, and you just walk away and you leave it, that car will just gradually rust into the ground. Everything is in a state of decay. Unless you act upon it with an outside source of energy left to itself, it will lose energy. It will unwind. It, it, think of your teenager's bedroom. Left to itself, it'll just go into a state of disarray and decay. And who knows what, what kind of rotten things will be in there. I would suggest... That as we age, listen closely to me, I am suggesting that as we age, in our marriage relationships, there will be a tendency for an entropy to set in. And I am suggesting that in Genesis chapter 27, if Isaac and Rebekah had kept their love alive, had kept their, their intimacy, had kept their communication the heartache of much of what happened there and the, and the chaos of what happened in Genesis chapter 27 would not have taken place. But they did not guard against the natural entropy of an aging marriage. Now, I haven't been married very long, but 26 is coming up this spring already. And I want to tell you that I already can see that there is a difference at being married at age 26 at age 26, for 26 years than 26 months. There are things that we have to work on and we have to pay attention to that an entropy will take in. Let me suggest some things and we'll go quickly. First of all, I want you to see, as you can already see on the board, that there will be, there is, in all marriages, we can expect a season as we age of declining strength and chronic illness. Do you see that in verse 1 of chapter 27? In this passage, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, this is when he calls Esau in and is going to make, try to make, one of the worst decisions of his life. Now, it doesn't say it in the passage. You don't have to write me emails this week and say that this is such eisegesis this week. It's unbelievable. I understand my approach to Scripture today. All right? I am, I am making some pastoral suggestions and some impressions that I had. I am not exegeting the passage. I am reading into the passage. Always a dangerous thing to do. But humor me today. As Isaac grew old and his physical strength waned, I would suggest that it did not happen on the same timeline or the same trajectory as his wife Rebecca. And I am suggesting from this passage and from my observation in my own home with my own aging parents who are both with the Lord now and in my pastoral ministry of watching marriages age, that this can be a point of entropy in our marriage. This can be something that causes a marriage to cool off, to become stale. One of the spouses 
is ill or has chronic illness or has a growing weakness. The other spouse is stronger. We can see in the passage that Rebecca had good hearing still. She's sitting just on the other side of the tent flap and she hears everything that he says. She's sharp as a tack. She knows how to immediately put into play this scheme, this plan of deception for Jacob. And she has absolutely, evidently, no physical limitations to take two goats, not one, two goats, it says. She says to Jacob, go get two goats, bring them to me, and I will fix up that good stew that your father likes that is evidently a, a faux venison dish because that's what he had asked Esau to go do. Go shoot a deer, go get some wild game, fix that meal for me that I really like, and then I'm going to bless you. And we see from Rebecca that she could immediately kick things into gear. I take it that the, the downgrade physically of Isaac was moving much faster than it was for Rebecca. And I would suggest that this is a point of entropy in a marriage that we have to guard against. That at, at those times when you become a caretaker, when you become the stronger one of the spouses, that that can create difficulties in your marriage. Communication can be limited your caretaking can be a source of irritation. You can lose appreciation for your spouse. Things that you valued in them are no longer manifested in their daily living. And there he is. He's way overweight. His legs are weak. He can't get out of bed. He can't see. And the only time she goes over there is to when he rattles his glass and he needs a refill. She's tired. Now you say, I am reading into the passage. But I'm suggesting that what we see evidenced, and this is a common thing for many marriages, that there is a distancing, actually. I'm not saying that you don't love one another deeply to the end. But I'm saying that that can be a time where there's a breakdown in communication. It can actually be a, a source, as I said, of, of deep, almost irritation and frustration and impatience with one another. A declining strength in a chronic illness can be something that helps a, ma a marriage stale. Secondly, I want to suggest that something we can expect to happen in our old age in our marriages is there is often a role reversal and often it's related to point number one. That when one of the spouse, and generally eight out of ten times it will be the husband who dies first. Eight out of ten times it is the husband whose health will break first. And then what happens is the wife who is used to coming in under the husband in God's design of the home, and many of us live that way according to God's word to the best of our ability, and the husband has been the spiritual leader, the husband has been the breadwinner, the husband has been the key uh, weight bearer uh, of the decision-making uh, responsibilities, and now all of a sudden he's either incapable or just doesn't care to make those kinds of decisions, and often the wife has to switch roles, and she has to be the leader in the home. She has to make major decisions that she's not made or has not made without her husband all of her life. You know, I observed this in my mother and my father. My father's health broke for about four years. He was very weak while my mom cared for him in the home. Some of you have experienced this. You know this. Sometimes it is the, the husband who takes care of his wife. More, more often I've observed that it's the wife who takes care of the husband. And you know... That was not an easy time for my mother, partly because of this role reversal. My father was a strong man. My father was a strong decision maker. My father was uh, made clear that he was the head of his home. 
And I remember my mom telling me about something that happened. Always, all of their married life, if they went on a trip, my dad would drive. My mom would ride in the passenger seat. It was a rare day. In fact, as a little boy, if I ever saw it, I don't remember it, of my mother driving and my father riding, that would just be something's wrong with the world. <laughs> and my mom had to do all of the driving. My father was too weak to even get himself in the car, but yet he was still enough that they would go. They would go to church. They would go out to eat. They would go to doctor's appointments. And my mom told me that as they were traveling right there near their home, very familiar roads, as they came into the stop sign at a T in the road, that my father said, go this way. Well, that's not where we're going. She said, I tried to explain to him that's not where we were going. He said, go this way. And do you know that my mom turned and went the wrong way, knowing it wouldn't get them where they were going. It, she couldn't process the role reversal. And in my father's impatience and in his confusion, he thought, we need to go this way. Listen, that's, that's an entropy that can set in. That's a, a, a difficulty on a marriage that can impact the communication level. Things change as we age. Declining strength, role reversal. We can only assume that there is some of this going on in the marriage. And as Rebecca listens through the tent wall and she hears her husband saying he's going to bless Esau, she knows that's the wrong way to turn. We don't turn that way. So she wants to correct it. And, and it's difficult for her to know what to do. And so she makes decisions to alter that decision with some very unethical points. Thirdly, I want you to, I would like to just suggest and quickly that there is also in our aging years, I have observed this in my pastoral ministry and I can't help but believe that we have it modeled in Isaac and Rebecca, the emotional drain of godless adult children. Did you see that in the passage? We know from a couple different passages there that uh, chapter 26, verse 34, for example, that he had married two Canaanite women and that it would cause, it was a source of grief all of the life of Isaac and Rebekah, their whole adult life. How many times in my pastoral ministry I have met with people and I have been with uh, elderly aging people who have adult children that they're paying their bills, they're babysitting their children, they're moving them into their basement, they're buying them a new car because they don't have any resources, and it creates a problem, and in much the same way that Isaac and Rebecca could not agree on which son was the, the one of promise, remember Isaac favored Esau, it's clear in the passage, Rebecca favored Isaac. Excuse me, Rebecca favored Jacob. <laughs> Rebecca favored Jacob. Listen, adult children create division in aging marriages. I have witnessed it. They fight over it. They disagree with one another. They can't come to conclusions. One of them wants to give some financial help for the 99th time to this dysfunctional adult child. The other one is outraged that they're going to do that. One of them wants to go on vacation. The other one says, no, we can't go on vacation. We have to take care of the grandkids. Why do we have to take care of the grandkids? We have to take care of the grandkids because our kids have mucked up their lives and they can't live on their own. 
And the next thing you know, Ma and Pa in their 60s and 70s are butting heads. And I take it that Isaac and Rebecca would be no exception to what we see in our own contemporary world, where Isaac and Rebecca must have been divided over this to the degree that in a huff she would walk out of the room. Why does he insist on Esau being number one? And so we have this entropy, this drain that sets in. We have declining health. We have role reversal. We have, we have godless children who can strain our love and our relationship as our loyalties to our own children become a dividing barrier in our marriage. Fourthly and finally, and these are common things. These are things that I think many of us can expect to happen to us. This is the normal course. We see this over and over. Fourthly, I would suggest that there is a spiritual passivity that takes place and it takes the place of clearly defined convictions. I'm particularly thinking of Isaac here. In verses 2 to 4, he's preparing to bless Esau. He's preparing to, to put his hands on that boy and give him God's blessing for him to be the son of promise. And God has already said no. And I cannot help but believe that if it weren't for an, a, a sagging release of spiritual conviction in his old age that Isaac would have never done that. Again, I'm surmising, I'm reading into the passage, but in my pastoral ministry, and even in some ways observing my own father who was a pastor for nearly 50 years and who was a strong man of godly conviction, that in his old age, things began not to matter. Oh, it doesn't matter. And as a result, the wife doesn't know what to do. She's now married to a man whose convictions seem to be melting. Sometimes it can be the other way around. But where there was a head of the home, where there was a leader through the years, was strong, defined, spiritual conviction that in the aging years it can influence the marriage and make a drain on the relationship because... There seems to be a lack of discipline and a lack of order now in the area of spiritual conviction. Well, that's some of the entropy that can set in. Will you be patient with me and we'll quickly, with the junior church and nursery people in mind, try to be careful to wrap this up in just a few minutes, but I'd like to conclude my thoughts. As we step back from the passage and we think, okay, here's an aging marriage, it would appear that it is logical, even if it's not totally biblical, to conclude that Isaac and Rebecca, because of the deteriorating condition of their intimate relationship, their spiritual walk in unity as a married couple, that they created problems in their home, in their old age, in the condition of their marriage. I wonder if they could feel it coming. I wonder if there's something you can look for in your marriage as you age, that you could say, you know what, we must not let these things happen or we will end up with a stale, declining marriage relationship that will make us vulnerable to bad decisions in our old age. Let me suggest three quickly. I see these in the story. Clearly, there is number one, the yellow flag of a breakdown in communication. Clearly, Isaac and Rebecca could not communicate effectively as to the blessing and the order of blessing. To the degree that she's listening in, she's sneaking around her house trying to keep up with her husband because they won't talk face to face about it. They won't resolve the matter together. There's a breakdown in communication. 
Have you ever sat at Bob Evans or Cracker Barrel, watched a couple come in to eat breakfast that has obviously been married a long time? He's got a newspaper. She's got a book. They sit down. They order. They don't look at each other, and they don't talk to each other. I have sat in a restaurant and observed couples sit there and eat their breakfast for an hour and say maybe three words to one another. You think that can't happen to you? I think that a breakdown in communication is something that is a yellow flag that entropy is setting in on your marriage. We must fight it. Secondly, unresolved differences on matters of conviction and even obedience. We've in, implied this already in the passage. For years, how many years? We suggested last week from birth dating and death dating that Isaac and es that Esau and Jacob are probably 70 years old already at this time. How many years have Isaac and Rebekah known that Jacob was supposed to receive the blessing? And yet here it gets at the end of their lives and there are still unresolved differences in the area of conviction. If you find yourself in a marriage setting where your convictions, the established spiritual norms of your life just don't seem to line up with one another, I suggest that's a yellow flag. And as you age, that will only compound itself. Finally, number three, I suggest that in our story, a key part of the plot woven throughout are the secrets, the deception, the lies, and the misinformation that is given between Jacob and his father, Rebekah guiding him in his lies towards his father, Jacob deceiving his own brother, backstabbing his brother. It's chaos. It's totally disrupted their home. I'll tell you something. If you are in a marriage that as the marriage matures, you find yourself continuing to increase rather than a lack of closeness and a lack, and excuse me, if you're not coming together and there's not more transparency as you age, but rather you find yourself sneaking around the, your partner, you find yourself withholding information from your partner, you find yourself spinning information so that your spouse doesn't know what you spent over here or who you talked to over here, this is a huge yellow flag flapping in the breeze that your marriage is turning stale and will decay even to the point of dysfunction and major problems in your old age. Instead of growing closer, they're growing apart. They don't like each other anymore. They don't like the way that old guy makes decisions. I don't like her friends that she goes out with. I don't like the way this happens. Even directly lying to one another. What a shame for God's people. Very quickly, let's conclude then with what I would call some pastoral because of my own observations and biblical counsel because I think it's built on biblical principle today. All right, what have we looked at? We've taken Genesis chapter 27. We've taken a situation that a lot of bad decisions were made in the chapter and a, a lot of unethical behavior went on. And we're building our time this morning suggesting that had Isaac and Rebekah's marriage not turned stale, that would not have happened like that. 
We've talked about the entropy that naturally will set in on all aging marriages that you have to fight. We've talked briefly about three yellow flags that will give caution that if these things are going on, there's a less communication and not more. There's unresolved differences in matters of spiritual conviction. And there's secrets and deception and lies and misinformation. Those are yellow flags flapping in the breeze of your living room that you had better wake up in your home. It can happen and does happen to all of us at different times at different levels. So three conclusions. Number one, you better understand that a meaningful marriage needs to be a lifelong pursuit. Meaningful marriage needs to be a lifelong pursuit. I'll tell you something. You never are married long enough to stop caring about the health of your marriage. You never are married long enough to stop caring about the health of your marriage. The next time we have a marriage seminar, I sure hope we see some bald heads, some gray-haired, purple-haired people at our marriage seminar. That was a joke. I don't know anybody like that. We had all young couples in their 30s. Maybe a couple of us in our 40s. Why? Because after we're married about 30 years, what do we think? I don't need that marriage seminar stuff. I've been married all my life. I can tell you all about marriage. I'll tell you that. Yeah, and most of it's wrong. <laughs> you never get too old to stop maintaining your marriage. When you stood on the platform before God and the witnesses and the minister, you said, until death do us part. Why does your marriage matter less at 46 years than it did at 46 months? It doesn't. It is still a picture of Christ and his love for the church, his bride. It is still based on all of the biblical principles founded on marriage. Number one, meaningful marriage is a lifelong pursuit. Number two, spiritual discipline is a lifelong practice. Spiritual discipline is a lifelong practice. I take it that Isaac, in his old age, let down spiritually. In his physical disabilities, he let down spiritually. Listen, you get older, you just don't feel like you're needed around the church. I don't know what it is. When's the last time, if you're 65, 70 and older, that you memorized a verse, taught a lesson? cared about spiritual growth in your life. You kind of think, ah, I'm an old guy. I already know everything there is to know. That's utter nonsense. You haven't even begun to scratch the surface of, your, of the book. Why would you not grow spiritually till the day you stop breathing? Your wife will sure appreciate it if you maintain spiritual growth and leadership in your home as long as you have your faculties. And I think that part of the problem in Genesis 27 is that Isaac let down in the area of spiritual discipline. Finally, number three, biblical obedience is a lifelong priority. Will you turn with me and we'll close with just Ephesians chapter 4. And let me show you what I mean by this in a practical way. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, then find chapter 4 and then find verse 29 and let me show you what I mean by this. I would like to suggest that a lot of the reason our marriages grow stale and there's a breakdown in our marriages, it boils down to just spiritual, biblical disobedience. I don't care how old you are, you're not allowed to disobey God's word because you feel grumpy. 
You're not allowed to disobey the basics of Christian obedience and Christian behavior and defile the fruit of the Spirit in you and quench the Spirit and grieve the Spirit with a bad attitude because you can't see or because you can't get out of bed easily or because your wife put the cup down with the straw bent at the wrong angle. It doesn't give you permission to light into them. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, look what it says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Until you're age 77? No. As long as you're breathing, as long as you're alive, as long as you have your faculties enough to understand, you must walk in biblical obedience. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, verse 30, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Listen, our behavior as a husband and wife is foundational to that is the simple obedience of Scripture. The basics of Christian grace are essential in our old aging marriages as much as it is in our young marriage, as much as it is in our interaction with one another in the body of Christ. And I am suggesting that when we're not careful to guard our biblical obedience, to grow in lifelong discipline spiritually, to maintain our marriages in a lifelong pursuit, we end up disobeying some of the very basics of Scripture. I've observed it in my own home, in myself. I've observed it in my mother and father. I've observed it in my congregation through the years. And I've observed it right here in the story of Isaac and Rebecca. A general disrespect that took away the intimacy of the marriage. That violates the very essence of Christian grace. Just because you're an old geezer and you're the head of your home, doesn't give you a right to snap at your wife because she walked in front of the TV for a minute when she's trying to come get your dirty dishes off the couch. You see what I'm saying? And I just really think that Isaac and Rebecca, years before this event took place, allowed an undermining, a deterioration, a, a stale mold crept into their marriage. So that at this crucial point in their old age, when decisions that were universal in impact were going to be made, Isaac tries to make the wrong decision. And his wife doesn't even know how to talk to him about it. That's a shame. What a shame for us, who are the privileged people of the church, who hold in our hands the Word of God, who sit under the preaching of the Word of God, not to age with grace, but to grow grumpy with old age. Shame on us. And so as we practice these disciplines now, God willing, as we lose our minds in old age, the fruit of the Spirit will be the way of life for us. Let's bow in prayer. Father, Thank you for your grace. Lord, we don't know the future and we don't know the dynamics even of the unwinding of our own timeline as we age. 
And yet, Father, we can expect that there are difficult days ahead as we live under the curse of sin and death and dying. But thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who renews us in our thinking, who softens our hearts, who can help us grow old together as married couples with a peace and a love and a joy and a satisfaction and an ability to look at one another and to communicate and to respect and to listen. So, Father, forgive us for our impatience, for our hardness of heart, for our lack of receptivity, for our excuse-making because our bones ache. And may we learn from this model of failure in many ways to fight the good fight, to walk carefully before you, and in humility, walk in obedience to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.